Welcome to the Elevate Life podcast channel. We hope this sermon encourages and inspires you so you can go and grow to your next level. For more information about our church, please visit our website, elevate.life. Enjoy the message. So, so we're starting this series called Lifeosophy, how to have a philosophy of life. And um, uh, one of the things that I feel like, um, uh, I'm, you know, me and Pastor Keith are like two sides of the, of the same coin a little bit. I'm a little bit slower more deliberate, you know, I've had to step up and like be convinced to get in the game, like he was saying. He's just always wanted to be in the game. Uh, and uh, so in my life, I've, my journey's been a little bit different in terms of figuring out like what it means to live a good life and how, we, how I can pursue God and what that looks like. And so a few years ago, I sat down and uh, I didn't have any plan with this. I just thought, man, like, what is it that I can, you know, because Pastor Keith and Sheila, as my parents, have always been very intentional about what they would teach us about what they think and what it means to be a craft and what it means to live a good life. And so I started to think, how well am I doing that with my kids? Like, my kids are getting old enough to where I can actually have conversations with them, which is my favorite part of parenting. Like, one, one to three, oh, zero to three, your kids are basically animals. And uh, not saying that to dishonor my kids. I got two of them, so I know what I'm talking about. They, like, I don't, you can't reason with them. I was talking to Pastor Sheila the other day. I got Harper. She's a two-year-old. Well, she's getting ready to be two. She's like the most sweetest, wonderful, strong-willed, I'm going to do whatever I want person. Like, I tell Harper, so we do timeout. So I tell Harper, you know, you're going to go in timeout if you keep doing that. She goes, okay. And she just goes and sits in the chair. Like, she enjoys it. Like she loves, we have this green chair in our house. It's the thinking chair. You go think about things there. So she likes sitting in the, she'll just go sit there. Like, okay, you done? It's been 15 minutes. So I guess it's long enough. Hopefully you learn your lesson. Um, So very difficult for me to reason with the unreasonable as it relates to zero to three year olds. So I love this time in my life where I'm getting to like talk with my kids and we can speak a language together that we both understand. And uh, so I started to think about how, about what it was that I was teaching my kids about how to live. Because as a parent, or even as a leader, in any room that you're in, you're a leader, you're showing people how to think, be, and do in that room. You're showing them how to think, what kind of attitude they should have, how they should act. And I started to think about whether or not I was being that intentional about that. And so uh, I said, okay, I'm going to write out all of the ways that I feel like I want to live. Like if I could teach my kids how to live, what would I say? So I wrote that out. I sent it to Pastor Keith and he said, hey, this is your, this is your first book. And I said, oh, it's not a book. It's not going to be a book. He's like, it's a book. You need to write a book. And uh, so it's turned into a book. And because uh, he said so. So he didn't have to, you know, he didn't have to die for me to be used by God, right? That's my goal, to not kill him. And um, so... <laughs> So I, I put a book together. It's coming out next year. It's called The Way to Live. And um, yeah, so, um, so my goal in saying that is not to say that, like, you know, I'm really great and everyone should listen to me, but in my own journey, talk about, so there's a QR code. Sorry, they put it up there. Pastor Keith said talk about the QR code. Yes, sir. There's a QR code that, there's a Google Doc, the original Google Doc that I put together that I sent to him. This is the Google Doc. It's actually been formatted and edited somewhat and put together. And uh, that, that book is currently in editing and we're gonna be releasing that next year. But what I wanna do uh, is, is share that with everyone that wants it. It's a free thing. This is a whole book you can go read for free. Um, and then also we did a pre-release version for Mighty Men. 
that we have, I don't know, like 20 something books left, that if you'd like to buy a paperback of this, then like it, it's gonna be in the lobby for, for, uh, for sale. And I didn't plan on signing them, but Pastor Keith told me last service to do that. So I obviously plan on being there this service because I know that's what he would want. And, uh, and so, um, so in my life, I've really tried to figure out how to, uh, and that book represents for me my desire to kind of bridge the gap between philosophy and theology. Um, I'm, I'm a person, I've, very, I've always been very interested in ancient philosophy and ancient Greek philosophy. It's always been like captivating to me this time in history where philosophy happened is a very interesting time in the history of the world. And I grew up in church. And so in church, we didn't talk about philosophy a lot. Like we talked about philosophy here at Elevate Life. But when I was a kid growing up, we spent a lot of time on theology, which is really the study of God. Let's get to know God really well. And that's really, really important. It's vitally important to our lives. Philosophy is about how well we know ourselves and the kind of decisions that we make every day. And theology is very important, but so is this practical experience of the life that you and I live every day. And there's actually not just ways God wants us to think, there's ways that he wants us to live. In Isaiah chapter 55, the Bible says, God says to us, he says, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, so as the heavens are higher than the earth. So God's always trying to get us to come up to his level, but he's not just trying to get us to come up to his level in an intellectual sense, like just think like me. God's, getting, God's trying to get us to live like him. The whole reason why Jesus came to the earth was to show us the way to live. He didn't just come to the earth so that we could believe in this idea of Christianity. Now, a lot of us uh, kind of live in a context in the world that we live in where the whole purpose of this thing is just to believe in it. Like Christianity is a belief system. The world would call it a religion and a religion is just a way that you believe. Christianity is not supposed to be that. When we say that we give Jesus our life, the original uh, purpose of being a Christian was to follow Jesus, was literally to pattern and model your life after him. So God is not just concerned with how he, we think, He's concerned with how we live. So I've done a lot of like work in my own life trying to figure out how to contextualize that. There's so much that Pastor Keith has taught me as I've been raised, not just as his son, but as a uh, student to him as a sensei, like he represents a master to me um, that's been expressed in my own life. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit today. We're gonna talk a little bit about our church and we're gonna talk about our thinking and we're gonna talk about how our thinking affects the life that we live. We're gonna do that throughout this series. One of the things I wanna do as we jump in here um, is to get us all in a position to exercise our brain. And uh, if you go to the gym, if you work out, typically what you would do is before you work out, you're gonna do a little bit of a warm up. You're gonna do some stretching. So we're gonna do some brain stretching, all right? And I'm just gonna ask you some questions. I don't want you to answer them out loud. I want you to answer them to yourself. And it's just kind of our brain warm up, okay? So uh, do you ever think about yourself? When you think about yourself, what do you think about? When you think about yourself, what do you know about yourself? How do you know what you know about yourself? Now, I want you to think about something that you don't know about yourself. We're warming it up, in the engine going. What are thoughts made of? What color are your thoughts? Can you think a green thought? How about a blue thought? What about a really bright thought? 
don't think of an elephant. Now, don't let the elephant put a hat on. Make sure it's not a blue hat. Don't let a penguin get on top of that hat. Now, don't change the color of the hat to orange. Why did you think about all those things I told you not to think about? So we're warmed up, now let's go to work. So now your brains are warmed up, we're gonna work. I'm gonna ask you one more question, or a few more questions. First question is, what do you want out of life? Now when we say, what do you want out of life, when I ask this question, our thoughts naturally go to, what do you want in the next six months? What do you want the next 10 years? What do you want in your marriage? What do you want in your, do you, you know, so most of us think, well, I want a nice job. I want a caring spouse. I want a nice house. I want money. Uh, typically, if you're an American, your number one thing is you want to be happy um, or I want influence. Sometimes we look at a question like this or we look at these things. We say, okay, like probably I want to be happy, right? And I think, man, if I can just attain happiness, then I'll have accomplished some kind of grand purpose in my life. Um, we can know minute by minute what we want or even decade by decade, but the question I'm asking is what do you want the goal of your entire life to be? So if you could have a reason for living, if you could have, if you could say in life, this by the time I die, I'm gonna give you some um, some news that you already have, and that's that you're gonna die. 100% of us in this room are gonna die someday. Life's a terminal thing. So you're gonna die. At the end of your life, what do you want out of life? So most of us never stop and, and take a minute to think about the answer to that question. Usually, the only time we think about the answer to that question is when we're in the process of dying. We're on our deathbed, we're really old, we got one foot in the grave anyway, and we start to think, man, like what is the sum total of my life? Out of all of the things, out of all of the things that you could seek out and pursue in your life, what do you personally consider to be most valuable? That's the question that I'm asking. And most of us go through life and we never stop to think about that. We never stop to think about out of all of the things I could do, out of all of the, the, the experiences that I could have, out of all of the outcomes that I could see happen in my life, um, what, is the, what would be the most valuable one to me? Have you ever considered that you could actually live a bad life? It's possible to mislive your life. Most of us don't wanna like consider that thought. We don't wanna think about the fact that we could actually live a bad life. But the fact that you can consider that you could mislive means that you have an opportunity to not mislive. Most people that mislive their life, most people that live bad lives are not people that ever consider the kind of life that they're living. So if you, you and I have all run into difficult people, we've all dealt with dysfunctional people, we've all dealt with people that maybe we would, we would say that they have lived a bad life. I would say that those people that we know that have been that way did not set out to live their life that way. Like if you have issues in your life because of how your parents were or weren't, it wasn't your parents' intention when they had kids, right, to make sure that they damaged you. But what we do in life is we never consider the reason why we live. We never consider what it is that we want out of life. So we go through life by default more than by design and what we have in life just, just ends up being what we have in life. There's, 
Um, two substances that look similar, but they're not the same, gold and pyrite. For centuries, I mean, almost as long as human beings have been a thing, we have searched the world over for gold. And, and what many people, as they've searched for gold, what they've discovered is they've discovered something called pyrite. We know that as fool's gold. Pyrite looks like gold, and it's often found next to gold deposits, but it's not gold. They can look similar if we're not paying attention, but pyrite and gold couldn't be more different. Now, I don't know if you can tell the difference between these pictures, but I'm not gonna tell you the difference because this is how most of us live our life. We think that we're pursuing gold when really what we're pursuing is pyrite. Now, gold today is worth about $2,000 an ounce. Pyrite is worth 16 cents an ounce. So we can go through life and we can say, oh, we're pursuing gold, we're digging for gold, we're trying to, we're, we're, we're accomplishing some kind of goal and we can get to the end of our life and go, wow, like I have a whole bunch of something that's worth a whole bunch of nothing. There's a, a, a woman by the name of Bronnie Ware. She was a, a, hospital, a hospice nurse for her whole career. She wrote this book called The, the Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And her career, in her career-long observations of dying people, she realized that there are five key things that every dying person says that they regret. <clears throat> Number one, the wish for courage to live a life true to themselves, not the life others expected of them. Number two, the wish that they hadn't worked so hard. In her book, she says every male patient that she encountered over her whole career said they felt they missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Number three, the wish that they would have had the courage to express their feelings. Number four, the wish that they had stayed in touch with their friends. And number five, the wish that they had realized that happiness was a choice. So we go through life and we think, man, I'm getting some gold here. I got a certain job, I got a certain life, I got a certain thing that I'm producing for myself, not thinking that at some point that's going to end. Now you might not feel like you're dying right now, but we are dying every day. Every day that we live is a day that we get closer to whatever our expiration date is. So in 1938, there was a study that began at Harvard. It's called the Study of Adult Development. And they started with 268 sophomores at Harvard University. The study actually still continues today with over 1,300 of these people's children, offspring, and uh, even some other people in the Boston area. The evidence of the study overwhelmingly, you can go read all of this for yourself, the evidence of the study overwhelmingly shows that the greatest predictor of a good life is the quality of a person's relationships. So the best lives, what we can see, the best lives have the best relationships. The top regrets of the dying, most of them have to do with relationships. The best lives, the best people that we know that are living the best lives that they're living, those people have the greatest relationships that we know. And you know this without me giving you a bunch of data. You know this without me telling you, hey, the top five regrets of the dying. I mean, how many movies have we seen? How many stories have we heard where there's a person sitting on their deathbed saying, I wish I would have done this with my kids. I wish I would have pursued this, this relationship with my friends. I, that's, that's all the regrets that we have. There's not a person who dies who says, man, I wish I just would have made some more money. 
I wish I would have just had a little bit bigger of a platform. I wish that I would have just done a little bit more at work and worked a little bit harder. I wish I would have really picked up that phone a little bit more and interrupted my family time. There's not a person that says that. So we all know that the best life equals the best relationships. Now the question that I have for you is what do you and I spend most of our time on? What is it that stresses you out? What is it that causes you the most anxiety in your life? I would say most of us, the greatest stress, anxiety, and focus for us has nothing to do with relationships. The stuff that can keep me up at night is like, I need to make more money, I need to live this life, I wanna produce this, I wanna make this happen, I need influence, I want success, I wanna be happy, I want all this different stuff. None of that really ultimately has anything to do with relationships, yet those are the things that get most of our time. So when we're talking about pyrite, that's what I'm talking about. Because we can think in life, oh yeah, like, hey, I know it's all about relationships, but that's a lot of times the last thing that we think about. How many of us, the last time we had a best friend was when we were in third grade? How many of us in our marriages have little to no intimacy and relationship between us? How many of us go through life and have no friends that we really do life with that know us and we know them? How many of us know very little about our kids' experiences and the kind of life that they have and what their interests are and what their destiny is gonna be and invest in that? Most of us are concerned with this idea, especially, like I can't speak for what, what you know maybe women are concerned with, but especially as a man, it's very easy to say, my goal is to create a life for my kids. Like your kids didn't ask for that. Your kids didn't, aren't gonna ask you for vacation properties and millions of dollars and all of that different kind of stuff. My best memories with my dad are just time that I was with him. Has nothing to do with like us going to Disney World or not. But most of us think if I can just create a great experience for my kids, then that's me being a good parent. No, what your kids need is for you to just be with them and that creates the experience for them. So is that what consumes our thinking about success, our thinking about our goal in life, is how can I improve my relationships? How can I get better relationships? How can I get around the right people? How can I get my kids around the right people? Is that the thing that consumes us or are we consumed by everything else? The last question on this particular topic is what should your eulogy say? So if we're all gonna die, a eulogy is a speech that's given at a funeral in praise of somebody. So imagine the day of your funeral. Your best friend, your spouse, whoever, they get up to deliver a eulogy. What do you want them to say about you? What do you want the people around you to feel and think about you when you're gone? Most of us never get to this place where we consider that. What we do is we're just trying to make a certain life for ourselves and we never think about the fact that this could all end one day and in fact it will end one day. It's not even a could, it's not a maybe. There will come a day where this is over and people are talking about you when you're gone. So what do you want them to say about you? It's a big question, so I want you to hold that in your head. We're still, we're working out mentally right now. Second, second question. Um, I think I skipped one, but maybe not, okay. So second question that's not, I don't think it's on here. Let me make sure, yeah. Second question, I want you to write this down because I didn't get it in the notes. Second question is, what is the meaning of life? 
So we start with what's your grand goal for living, uh, and the next question is what's the meaning of life? We have, as human beings, pursued trying to answer this question since human beings have been a thing. Like every personality test that you could take, any religion that we would follow, any, any thing that's relatively spiritual is kind of consumed with trying to discover purpose and meaning and pursue that in some way. So like go take a BuzzFeed thing and figure out which Disney princess you are, right? What color is your personality? Are you an introvert or an extrovert? All of that kind of comes down to us trying to figure out who we are and how we define meaning in our life. And so growing up in church, I would hear this question asked all the time, like, what's your calling? You know, what's your calling? What are you called to do? It's like, I don't know. Jesus didn't call me on the phone to do nothing. Like, God's not calling me and saying, hey, here's what I'm calling you to do. There was, there's never been a conversation like that had between me and God or me and God and anybody else. So then I, when I've asked the question, like, well, what's my, uh, you know, go to some, like a spiritual leader in my life, and I'll say, hey, like, what's, what's my calling? They're like, well, it's tied to your gifting. Like, okay, so then I go Google, like, what's spiritual gifts in the Bible? Right? And, well, which gifting is it? Because there's nine spiritual gifts in the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and there's eight later on. Then there's seven in Romans chapter 12. Is it all of those or just some of those? Do I get to decide? But then there's also five listed in Ephesians chapter 4. So if my calling's tied to my gifts, which gifts do I have or should I have or should I ask for? It's very confusing for me. Like, I'm a very simple person. I think that I just need you to tell me the one step I need to take right now, not all of this other stuff. And so even in church, even in the context that I grew up in, people live, people still live lives with very little meaning. Because Christianity, unfortunately for most people, is just a belief system. It's just the way I believe. Just the thing that I have in my life that I like kind of assent to this idea that God exists and he had a son named Jesus. But, but Christianity is way much, way more than that. So the good news, oh, sorry. The good news, I was on the right slide. The good news is that we go through life and we think, I don't know how to discover meaning. Uh, this question's already been answered. What's the meaning of your life? God answered it a really long time ago. There's actually, you don't have to, I mean, you should read the whole Bible, uh, but there's actually one verse in the Bible that tells you and I exactly what the meaning of our life is. So here's what Romans chapter 12, verse two says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but allow God to transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I mean, this is literally God saying, here's my will for your life. So when I was growing up, I would read this verse, or even when I was younger, I, was re I would read this verse, and I'd go, okay, like, you know, I want to know God's will for me. I want to think like Jesus thinks. You know, I said a little bit ago, Isaiah chapter 55 says, God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts and they're higher than the heavens are higher than the earth and all of that. And then, and then one time uh, I started to think about this passage of scripture in reverse. So if I read Romans chapter 12, verse two in reverse, which you could do right now, here's what it says. God's will for your life is good and pleasing and perfect. God's got a perfect will for your life. The way to know his will for your life is to transform into a new person by changing the way that you think. The behavior and customs of this world will not teach you to do this. So here's what we do. We go through life, and if you answer the question, what do I want out of life? Your answer could be very similar to most other people who are not Christians. 
So even in church culture, like in the world that a lot of us are in, what a lot of people want is influence. What a lot of people want is success. What a lot of people want is whatever else that could be. More this, more that. That's a, that's a quote unquote worldly thought process if there ever was one. So what we do is we go, okay, I believe in Jesus. I believe in this idea of Christianity, but my thinking is no different than anybody else. But I think because I believe something that somehow my life would look different. And that's not what Jesus came to the earth to do. Jesus didn't come to the earth so that we would just believe differently. Believing differently is important. In John chapter one, Jesus, the disciples see Jesus and they say, we think this dude's the Messiah. And so here's what Jesus says. He says, okay, if you believe that, come and follow me. That's what he says to them. Come and see what I'm all about. That's the life that Jesus calls us into. If we're Christians, this isn't about believing. Believing anybody can do that. Now a real one, a person, a real one is a person who says, I'm gonna follow Jesus and live like Jesus. My thoughts are gonna be thoughts that Jesus would have. My attitude is gonna be the attitude that Jesus would have. My actions are gonna be the actions that Jesus would have. And how can I know what those things are? Well, they're right there in scripture. We can see what Jesus' life was and how he thought, what his attitude was and how he acted. So we go through life and we think, man, like in America especially, Christianity is a religion and it's just a belief system. And we all know the reputation of Christians in America without having to talk about it. We love the word hypocrite. We love being hypocrites. Why, what is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a person whose actions do not line up with what they believe. That's what a hypocrite is. And so what Jesus does is he doesn't just invite us into believing. Believing is massively important. But God says, I want you to start with your thinking. You got to work. What a lot of people treat coming to Jesus as is like the end of a journey. Like I've been on this lifelong journey and I finally made it to the promised land. No, dude, the promised land's heaven. You just stopped this journey and started a new one. But this new one that you're on with Jesus is actually harder than anything you've done before. Like you think you've been through hard stuff before? Wait until you read the part in the Bible that says you have to kill your flesh and lay down your life and pick up your cross. That's not really the Jesus that we wanna imagine coming to as Christians, but that's the life that God calls us into, is to be like Jesus, and as human beings, we are incapable of that by ourselves. So we go through life, and we say, okay, my goal, of li my goal for living is the same as everybody else's, but somehow I, wanna, I want my life to be more meaningful than everybody else's. And then we, we start to ask this question like, what's the meaning of my life? What's the purpose of my life? We go through life and we're just, we're just kind of, we, we, we are consumed with this thought process and like, how can I discover meaning? How can I discover purpose? And the older we get, the further we feel from that. And we're not sure like if it's operating in our giftings or our best and highest use, or maybe it's being in a different place. Maybe it's being with different people. Maybe it's all this different stuff. I love what Viktor Frankl said in Man's Search for Meaning. He said this, he said, we need to stop asking about the meaning of life and instead think of ourselves as those who are being questioned by life daily and hourly our answer must consist not in talk and meditation but in right action and right conduct life 
ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answer to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for each individual. Questions about the meaning of life can never be answered by sweeping statements. Life does not mean something vague, but something very real and concrete, just as life's tasks are very real and concrete. Now that's a lot of words to to quote from a book, but we ask this question, we think to ourselves, what is the meaning of life? Here's what Viktor Frankl says, and here's what I feel like God says. That's not a question you get to ask. That's a question you get to answer. And there's a difference between those things. Because what is the meaning of life says, I'm gonna one day find the right person who's gonna help me understand my life's meaningful. One day I'm gonna discover my purpose. One day I'm gonna discover that my life is meaningful. We think that we're the ones asking the question. The question, what is the meaning of life, is a question that life asks out of us every day. What does your life mean? What does your life mean to your kids? What does your life mean to your family? What does your life mean to every relationships and relationship and circumstance and situations that you go into? What is the meaning of life is not a question that we're supposed to ask. It's a question that we're supposed to answer. What does your life mean? So when I think to myself, what do I want out of life? I'm beginning to answer the question, here's what my life means. I'm beginning to say that because here's the thing about meaning. Meaning is not discovered, meaning is created. I mean, if you think about it, most people will say, oh bro, you gotta go discover your purpose. How are you gonna discover that? I mean, there ain't, there, there's not really a way to go do that. We, we live our life and we're like, okay, maybe if I read enough of the word, I'll figure out what my purpose is. Or maybe I'll go to a mountaintop and sit down with a sensei and we'll microdose LSD and then we'll figure out that our, what the meaning of our life is. And we'll just like discover it because we get higher and higher in, in many different ways. The meaning of your life is a decision that you get to make. It's the power that you have to look at your kids and say, here's what I mean to my kids. It's the power that you have to look at your spouse or to look at your friends or your family and say, here's what I'm gonna decide that my life means to these people. Romans chapter 12, verse two, allow God to transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think so that your life can be meaningful the way God wants it to be meaningful. This is a knife. Everything that exists on this planet exists for a purpose. You're sitting in a chair today because there's a necessity on the planet for chairs. If there was not a necessity for chairs, chairs would not exist. The reason why a knife exists is to cut things or to stab things, but you know, cutting and stabbing are similar. The reason why a knife exists is for the purpose of a knife. If, the perp- if, if there was not a need for a knife, a knife would not exist. If we never had to cut anything, then what would be the purpose of a knife? And there would be no purpose, therefore, a knife wouldn't exist. The purpose of the knife necessitates it, its existence. A knife doesn't one day discover its purpose, right? 
The knife plays its role, and in playing its role, the knife fulfills its purpose. Now, a knife doesn't go, man, like, I really want to be a spoon, and it's time for you to eat soup with me. You know what's funny? I just had this thought. I didn't think about this first service. But Pastor Sheila, she does use a knife for all kinds of different activities and purposes. Like, I'll go to her house, and she'll be making something on the stove, and she's tasting, like, a soup thing with a knife, like a sharp knife. Not like a butter knife, but like a sharp knife. It's scary. Knives don't do that. Now, knives are, knives are inanimate objects, okay? So human beings and knives are a little bit different, but here's the, here's the commonality between you and me and a knife. Without purpose, we wouldn't exist. Now, the difference between you and me and a knife is a knife doesn't get to decide what its purpose is. A knife just has one. You and me, every day, we get to decide the part that we play and the purpose that we possess and the meaning that we create in the relationships that we have. Meaning is created, it's not discovered. Your kids are not gonna discover what you mean to them, you're gonna decide what you mean to them. So if I say to myself, if I say to myself as a father, the only thing I do is provide for my kids, that's what I mean to them. And that's what a lot of dads have meant to some of us in this room. My dad was only a provider. If I say to myself, I'm my kid's protector, that's what I mean to them. If I say to myself, I'm, I'm my kid's primary source of love and belief and encouragement, that's what I mean to them. I can say the same thing in any relationship that I'm in. I can say that in my, in my relationship with my wife, with Courtney. I can say, here's what I mean to Courtney, and here's what I bring to this relationship. And so I will never, if I do that, I will never have a, a moment in my life that my life is not meaningful. Because the question is, what does your life mean to the people in your life? Now, maybe you would wanna ask them this question, or maybe not. But you can decide this every day. So how can we make sure that our lives mean something? How can we do this? Meaning starts with my thinking. It starts with how I think about myself, how I think about the world, how I think about the part that God's given me to play. Romans chapter 12, verse two. Now this is like a deep concept, but it's, I feel like really simple to understand in that Romans chapter 12 verse two says, God, God says, I wanna start with your thinking. So it's one thing to think, all of us think. It's a human experience to think thoughts. It's another thing to think about thinking, which we did earlier, we warmed up. It's another thing to be intentional about how I think. This is called living life by design and not by default. All of us think, few of us think about how we think, even fewer of us are intentional about how we decide to think. What we'll talk about next week is the idea, me and Pastor Keith are gonna talk about this together next week, the idea that your thoughts create your attitudes and your attitudes create your actions and your actions create what you have in life. There's only so much in life that, that we can control. One of the things that we say in this church is think, be, do. Your think plus your be plus your do equals what you have. And we'll get into that. But here's, this is what began to happen in the history of the world. Okay, so, so over 2,000 years ago, people start to think of, oh, excuse me. People start to think about their thinking. They start to say, what are we thinking about and is our thinking good or is it bad? What does good or bad mean? This is called philosophy. 
And so these guys, Socrates, all the, Plato, Aristotle, all these different people come into the world and they start talking about and thinking about how we think. In ancient Greece, they started to think about how they lived and whether or not how they lived was good and meaningful. What you and me have practiced today, just sitting here and you hearing me talk and hopefully generating some thought processes, is we have practiced philosophy. And every day we're practicing philosophy anyway because here's what philosophy is. The ancient Greek philosopher says, said philosophy is the love, is the love of wisdom. That's literally what that word means. Now when we think of philosophy, a lot of times what we think about is uh, People that, write, people that are writing books that are a thousand page, pages long that somehow say nothing and solve nothing. You know, we think about old, poorly dressed men who are one breath away from insane asylums who want to ask questions that can never be answered and identify problems that can never be solved. That's not what philosophy is. What philosophy is, is it's the love of wisdom. What philosophy is, is it's deciding how to live. There was a philosopher by the name of Musonius Rufus in the Roman Empire, and he's a Stoic philosopher, and he said, philosophy is nothing else than to search out by reason what is right and proper and by deeds put it into practice. So when we say, here's what I want out of life, we're practicing philosophy. When we say, here's what my life means, we're practicing philosophy, because here's what, here's what uh, wisdom is. Oh, here's what he said, there he is, that's him. Uh, wisdom is knowing the difference between good and best and choosing best. So when the philosophers would talk about wisdom, they would talk about living the best life possible. Now, if we're not careful, most of us just try to bridge the gap between good and bad. So we're saying, okay, I just don't want to mislive my life. What if you could do more than mislive? What if you could do more than live a good life? What if you could live an amazing life? What if your life could be the best possible case scenario for you? This is why we need philosophy, because you're a philosopher anyway. I put this up just a second ago, but I skipped past it. Philosophy is deciding how to live. That's what philosophy is. Every day, we make decisions. Every day. You decided to get out of bed this morning. You decided which service you were going to come to. You decided what clothes you were going to wear. You decided whether or not you were going to brush your teeth. You decided, and hopefully you decided that in the affirmative. Uh, you decided where you were going to sit in this service. You decided who you were going to sit by. You're going to decide after today where you're going to go to lunch. Everything about living is making decisions. And so the decisions that we make are proof of what our philosophy of life is, what our approach to life is. And the decisions that we make ultimately produce meaning for us. They show what our life means. So if I make a decision as, as a provider in my family to make my life all about money and success, what I do is I say my philosophy of life is solely rooted and grounded in the fact that I believe a good life is one that's rich. Now there's way more to life than that, but that's what I would believe based on the decisions I make every day. So we know, back to the first question I asked, what do you want out of life? Most of us know that we should really want deep quality relationships. The decisions that we make every day are often made in opposition to that. So we say I want deep quality relationships but all the decisions I make are gonna put me further from that because I'm gonna want success and I'm gonna want influence and I'm gonna want all these different things that I could want. So ancient philosophy was primarily consumed with the pursuit of wisdom, living the best life possible. 
a philosophy, a, a lifeosophy. This is the a word that we came up with. A lifeosophy is a life that chooses, that loves the best thing, not just the good thing. This is the life God wants us to live. God says, my plan for your life, Romans 12 verse 2, my plan for your life is good and pleasing and perfect. What I want you to do is start with your thinking. Start with how you think about your life. The amazing thing is when we start to worry about our thinking, our thinking can actually get better. If we never think about how we think, we just live life by default. And not only that, not only does God say that, he shows us the life of Jesus, which represents the best life that any one of us could possibly live, that's not just one version of success, because when we get on the side of life with God, God wants us to prosper. God wants us to be successful. God, not, God doesn't just want us to have great relationships. He wants, us to be, he wants us to be completely fulfilled. He wants us to have great experiences. He wants us to experience joy and be rich and famous and whatever else that, that we could be, but all of that comes comes back to choosing to think like him, not choosing to value those things. I love what Socrates said. Socrates said that money doesn't come from virtue, or yeah, virtue doesn't come from money, but from virtue comes every good thing. So let me say that, let me say that in a different way. Pursuing living the best life that you can live and creating the right kind of meaning in your life will be the thing that causes all good things to happen for you. Living life God's way is the thing that produces the good things that we want. But if we value these good things by themselves and we never bring the pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of God's way into that, then our, we may experience those good things, but everything in our life might not be working. So as a church, one of the things that we talk about is what we call our mastery goal. And we're gonna to continue to talk about this. But one of the things we talk about is our mastery goal. So this is what Elevate Life Church represents. Now this doesn't make us better than any other church. This is just who we are. We wanna be the kind of church where everyone here can establish a biblical philosophy of life that will empower them to reach their God-given potential. So philosophy just by itself is godless. It's not about God. It's not about pursuing God or being like Jesus. But all of us need philosophy because all of us make decisions every day. So the decisions that we make every day should be rooted and grounded in, what's, in the way Scripture teaches us to think, be, and do, the way Scripture teaches us to live, so that we can reach the potential that God has called us to reach in our life. This is what the church is supposed to represent to us. The church is not a building, the church is people. And people should come together and produce the right kind of harvest in each other's lives where we help each other reach our God-given potential. So as we talk about a philosophy of life. And as we talk about lifeosophy through this series, a philosophy of life is the way that we live. And the way that we live equals a meaningful life or a non-meaningful life. And I wanted to start today by just sharing with you the why behind philosophy, because some of us could say, oh man, like, I don't want to wear a tweed jacket and have uh, elbow pads. Right? That's, not, that's not what philosophy is about. We need philosophy because we need to live meaningful lives. Our lives should have meaning, but our lives should be more than meaningful to us. Our lives should be meaningful to the people God puts in our life. We should live life in such a way that we have a grand goal of living and the decisions that we make every day help us get closer to what we want out of life that ultimately, hopefully, we can align that with what God wants out of life. Because it's not about us 
wanting what we want. It's about us ultimately wanting what God wants. But everything starts with our thinking first. So I want to invite you into something. This is like, we're, we're like hyper-rational. It's like a hyper-intellectual, very deep philosophical conversation that, that we're having today. The, the choice to follow Jesus is not an emotional choice. Now, we create emotion by playing music and all of that. Arthur's getting ready to come out and play the piano, and you're going to feel some things, and that's good to do. But the choice to follow Jesus is as intentional as the choice to decide what you want out of life. It's, it's as intentional as the choice to decide what your life means to your kids, your spouse, your family, your friends. What we believe as Christians is that the greatest example of the life we could live is the life of Jesus. There's a lot of people that believe that without even having a relationship with him. It is, not an, it is not an argument whether or not Jesus existed. It's not an argument whether or not he lived an unbelievable life that is worthy of imitating. But there's something much more than just looking at someone and seeing them as admirable. What Jesus wants, us to, wants to do is begin to lead us and guide us. What God wants to do is he wants to come into our life and begin to work on our thinking this is where God wants to get to you today, I feel like, in this morning. God wants to get you to that point where he's been challenging your thinking for a while, and it's time for you to just give that over to him and purpose and decide to think the way that God thinks. This is what God says. If you want to live out my will for your life, which is perfect and good and amazing, whatever your idea of perfection is, I want you to be perfect. I want you to live out the perfect will of God. If you want to do that, you have to allow me to change your thinking. You have to allow me to change how you think about marriage, to change how you think about family, to change how you think about living life, to change how you think about relationships and the world that we live in. Because all of the stuff that you care about right now, you're not going to care about that on your deathbed. And what God wants us to do is to live lives that are meaningful because if you did not have meaning and purpose, the, the unique similarity between us and knives is that without purpose, we wouldn't exist. So many people go through life and they don't ever think that they have purpose. You exist on purpose for a purpose. And the great thing with God, I feel like, is we get to decide that along with him. So can you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I know this is a different kind of discussion today. But this is way more than about like assenting to a way of thinking. This is about choosing to give everything that we think over to God and let him begin to work on our thinking. This is not about me giving you some cool quotes or some cool stuff that you, you should think. I mean, I'm very much on this journey uh, myself. And as we take this journey, what we have to do is just constantly submit ourselves to the God that created us. So he created us the way that he did but he wants us to be so much more than the thought patterns and all that stuff that we learn in this world. He wants us to be people that put ourselves in a position to allow him to lead our thoughts. And he makes it so easy. The way God makes it easy is he says, all I want you to do is to make a decision to let me be God in your life. Let me be the ruler of your thoughts. Make a decision to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus in your life, not just to believe, Make a decision to allow the lifestyle and the way of Jesus to become your way. And here's the cool thing. The coolest thing about this for me is follow Jesus and he'll teach you everything you need to know. If that's you, I don't know where you are in your thinking. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know where you are watching online. 
I want you to just make that decision in your heart today to give God your thinking, give God your whole life, let him be ruler of everything and he will lead you and guide you, he's gonna do that. Can everybody that, that can hear my voice just pray this prayer and repeat after me, say, dear Jesus, thank you for creating me. Thank you for meaning and purpose. From this day forward, I give you my life, my thinking, my attitudes, my actions. Lead me, guide me. In your name I pray, amen. So as a church, here's the thing that matters. If, 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 if the most significant and meaningful life that you can live is one that's defined by great relationships, this is why the church is so important. Because you heard me say it, but the church is not a place, the church is people. You need great people in your life. The most meaningful thing that you and I will have in life is great people. And God wants to surround you with the right people in the right place at the right time so that the right things can happen for you. That's what God wants. That's what the church represents. That's why Jesus founded the church, to be a gathering of people who are trying to live out this way of living that he assigned to us. So we make it really simple. If you're watching online or you're in this room, maybe you don't want to connect today. Maybe I talked too long and you're ready to go to lunch. We have a number, 972-945-9772. You can text Jesus to that number, and that's not an automated line. There's a person there that's there to connect with you. We want to do life with you ASAP, as soon as possible, as soon as you're ready. Let us do life with you. It doesn't matter if you're in this room or in Timbuktu. I don't even know if that's a place anymore, but it's a cool word. <laughs> But if you're in this room and you wanna meet some people and you wanna to get to know some people that are really gonna be great relationships for you, number one, there's people all throughout this building that have shirts with our logo on them that we call Instant Best Friends. They wanna be your best friends starting right now. Number two, we have a welcome lounge. It's up here that Pastor Sheila said her and some of our pastors are gonna be in there. We would love to connect with you and not get you plugged into some kind of program, not get you, you know, in some kind of small group system. We just wanna do life with you because that's what we need is meaningful, great relationships. So let us do that. Can we give the people that made that decision today a big hand, church? Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our channel on iTunes and YouTube. That way, you know when a new sermon has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, feel free to go to elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.